remain standing for the reading of God's word. Turn with me again to John's gospel. John's gospel, the 14th chapter. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Thus far the word of God. Let us pray together. O Lord our God, we do marvel that you would stoop even to behold the heavens that are above us, that you would look beyond, that you would look upon the sons of Adam. We do marvel, O God, that when Adam rebelled, that you did not turn your back and walk away. But indeed, you had a plan to send your own son to be the second Adam, coming into the world to fulfill that which the first Adam could not, but indeed coming as the God-man to redeem to yourself a people. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ came, the God-man, Emmanuel, came and dwelt amongst men, and that he made himself known, he made you known, and he continues to make himself known to us even now through the word, the living word of God. We pray, O God, that you would bless the word of Christ, that you would demonstrate your power through that which you've ordained and appointed, the preaching of your word. Father, we marvel that you could take frail men and accomplish something great by the working of your spirit. We ask that you would do so in this hour as we continue in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Life under the sun. Uh, Some of you will recognize that as a phrase that Solomon uses in Ecclesiastes to talk about the life of man on earth. Life under the sun. Uh, Even when they thinking of the word the sun and what the sun does, there's communicated within the, the harshness and the hardness of life under the sun. Life here below is filled with loss, sickness, injustice, loneliness, suffering, and even death. For some, life becomes pointless and lacking in a purpose Since evolution has gained widespread acceptance as explaining how we got here, it only makes sense that people would lose a sense of loss. They would have a lost sense of purpose. So many don't know how they got here. They don't know why they're here. They don't know where they're going. And as image bearers, that's unacceptable. Being made in God's image, though it is denied, does not change the reality. We want to know why. Why am I here? What is my purpose? So many of those living around us, particularly in these days, are on the brink of despair. We've heard of those who in utter hopelessness have despaired even of life. Even our day, we we hear how when people die, what's the common way to, to put it? They just passed away. It's not a biblical phrase. It's not a biblical way to look at it. It's not the case, the way we understand it as Christians. We believe that God has answered his questions, and when we die on this earth, then there is something that comes after. Uh, Again, Solomon in Ecclesiastes knows that. He declares how God has imprinted it upon every 
man and woman made in his image, a sense of eternity, a sense of the afterlife. Well, as Christians, with the revelation of God's word, we can speak to others. We can within ourselves have a certainty of how do we get here? Where do we come from? Why, are we, why am I here? Where am I going? And what happens when I die? Those questions are answered in the word of God. Now, it's certainly true that Christians face the same kind of troubles as other people. We face the same difficulties, hardships, loss, sickness, injustice, loneliness, suffering, and even death. Christians face each day, though, and the future with hope. We have hope in the suffering and afflictions of this life. And when death comes, we do not despair, for we look to the God who has saved us. And with a confidence, we believe that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, we have God's revelation that reveals to us how it will all turn out in the end. So we live more like realists. I'm not saying we're realists. We're much more than that. But we live more like realists. And we have cause to be optimistic as we entrust ourselves to God, resting in his promise to his people, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Last week we talked about absolutes, always and never. We even dealt with that one. The promise of God to his people is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can honestly say that this world is not our home. Heaven is where our citizenship lies. The Puritans and Christians of old referred to themselves, perhaps as we should be more familiar with doing, as pilgrims. This isn't our home. We're, We're just passing through. There's something more to come. Jesus Christ is in heaven. And our name, all our names are written on his hands. And he bears us, our names, before the Father, ever making intercession for us. And from that place he has promised that he is coming again, that where he is, there we may be also. You know that verse. It's easy just to rattle off, but there is tremendous weight in that. This, this covenant faithful God who we've heard about already in the service, this Christ who is so faithful, who came from heaven, spilled his blood to save us from our sins, ascended to the right hand of the Father, this exalted one is coming again. He's coming to gather his people to himself that we may be where he is also. Now I can declare these things to you with certainty because God has revealed them in his word. These same promises were true for those apostles in the upper room uh, where we find ourselves in the midst of John's gospel. The 11 who were left, they found themselves. Just think about this for a moment. They found themselves on the brink of circumstances that were unimaginable. No doubt they were feeling as though all was lost as though everything around them was crumbling because of what Jesus was declaring. But this, this is not the first time that these men had been in a situation where they thought they, they had always lost, as though they would soon perish. Remember, they were crossing the sea, and the storm came up suddenly. Jesus came on the water and stilled the storm. There was another time in the same sea where it was all in turmoil, and Jesus is sleeping in the boat. And they think these seasoned sailors think they're about to perish and they wake him up. Master, don't you care? They've been where they thought all was all, all that was soon lost. And yet the Lord was there and he spoke peace in the midst of the turmoil. My friends, 
Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He continues to speak peace and comfort to his people. This morning, we're going to look at these three verses with three heads. They, they flow pretty much right from the three verses that are before us. We're going to consider believe in Jesus and know peace. Believe in Jesus and have a home in the Father's house. Believe in Jesus and he will gather you to himself. So begin with believe in Jesus and know peace. That evening, in the upper room had already been filled with much that was unexpected. They came in to recline at the table, and Jesus, their master, got up, stripped himself, girded himself with a towel, and went around and washed their feet. Unexpected. You remember the exchange that Peter objected. This was so unexpected that he who was the, the greatest in their midst, indeed the greatest of the all of all, would stoop to wash their feet. And on the heels of that, Jesus has announced that one of them was going to betray him. One of their own. Unthinkable. And he, he's just told Peter in the previous verse that, Peter, before this night's over, you're going to deny me three times. Now, there's no doubt that shook Peter that it was unbelievable to him. But think about the, the others there in the room. Peter's, you know, he's right there at Jesus' right hand. He's in the midst of it all. He's been to the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter's been involved so much, so close to Jesus. And Jesus has just said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. So much unexpected, so much unthinkable. Judas has suddenly left, and Jesus is urging him to do some task quickly. They don't even know what it is. And then prior to this, in the months leading up to this week, Jesus has announced that his hour is coming. And as they listen to him, when he talks about this, this idea of his hour, it becomes more and more ominous. He has talked about that the religious leaders will, in opposition, seize him and turn him over to the Romans, that he will be arrested. And he's spoken of a death, his death. And resurrection, we would be right to conclude that there was tension in that room. Stress, uncertainty, unease, uncertainty, even suspicion playing in their minds. And into this context, Jesus speaks these words, let not your heart be troubled. That's pretty bold, isn't it? You know, there's times where we find ourselves in stressful situations and we're as much at a loss to, to say anything, to do anything, to help others. We, we feel much of the same thing. And, and yet here's Jesus with a confidence would have them look to him. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. If we can assess this room, although removed from it some 2,000 years, surely... Jesus knew what was in that room. If we can look at it and say some of the things I've said, draw some of the conclusions properly, how much more did Jesus know what was in that room? As we saw back in John chapter 2, Jesus knew what was within the heart of man. They were troubled. That's an understatement. They were troubled. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. The term heart is an important term to understand. We've talked about this before. Uh, the way that it is used in the scripture, it's, it's kind of a, a basket word. It's a word that uh, gathers together and, and 
puts a label on uh, all that is within man, the, the inner man, the, the, the whole person living in the body that we see. The heart is what was dead until the Holy Spirit made it alive by grace through faith. The heart is that which, which every one of us lives out of. We live out of the heart. Some of you are familiar with uh, Paul Tripp's teaching and other biblical counselors that we need to address the heart because the heart is the heart of the problem. That's where our problem lies. We live out of the heart. We speak out of the heart. Have you ever been guilty of saying something cruel and then trying to draw it back? So I, I didn't mean to say that. Isn't that a ridiculous statement? You said it because it was in your heart. Everything that we utter comes out of our heart. We live out of the heart. It's who we are. It's the wholeness of who we are. It's our thoughts. It's our personality. It's our character. It's our affections. So Jesus says to them, let not your heart be troubled. He's saying, don't be troubled. You, all that you are, do not be troubled. Now let's not lose sight of the fact that Jesus' heart was also troubled. We'll see more of this when they go out to the garden. Jesus knows that his hour has come. He knows that which is awaiting him. Judas played a role in it. He was to betray him. He sent Judas off to play his role in the timely manner according to God's providence, and he urges Judas to do it quickly. Jesus knew what was coming. He was troubled. One of his own disciples was soon to betray him. Another one very, very close to him deny that he even knew Jesus and with oaths he understood that he would soon lay down his life for the sheep and that he would become the sin bearing substitute that the father had sent into the world to save unto himself a people from the sons of Adam the moment was looming when sin the sin of all those whom the Father had given to him was about to come upon him. Think about that for a moment. Those of you who believe, you, you know that moment when you see your sin as much as we can see it. You one sin and you feel the shame. The guilt wells up. You feel overwhelmed. You're, you're disgusted. You're repulsed. Would that we'd feel that way when we'd be tempted to sin, but you know the other side of it. And we have some little minuscule apprehension of the disgustingness of sin. I think we're more ready to recognize it than others. We see the aftermath of sin, the, the fruit of sin. But we have some little sense of what sin is, do we not? Christ knew what sin was perfectly. And he was going to bear all the sin of all his people and carry it to the cross that there he would receive the wrath and justice of God Almighty to pay the penalty. He was troubled. It is there on the cross that because of our sin, the Father would forsake him and the God-man, the Son of God, would cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus so was troubled. But he did not despair. He was full of the spirit without measure. And he never lost sight of the work that the Father had given him to do. And through all this, Jesus had faith in God his Father. And I do mean that. Jesus is a man, the God-man. He had faith in the Father, trusting the promises that the Father had made to him. And in that reality, he was able to speak to his troubled companions a word of peace. 
he could speak peace to those whom he loved even unto death. He knew the blessings of God, the blessings of God, the peace that had sustained him through all his days, his days of humiliation and suffering. The Lord had upheld him, and he knew that. And he speaks then, peace to them. Let not your hearts be troubled. Literally, do not let your hearts be troubled any longer. There's a way that this is said in the Greek that they're already doing it. And he's basically saying, stop doing it. Stop letting your hearts be troubled. Continue to trust in God the Father. Also continue to trust in me. That's the weight of the verbs that are used here. You believe in God. Continue in that. You believe in me. Continue in what you know to be true. You see the clear implications of what Jesus is saying right here? You believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus, once again, makes a claim to deity. It's not the first time. These men have heard it over. I and the Father are one. I've been sent from the Father. I'm returning to the Father. This is what had the religious leaders all stirred up because by faith, they had no faith. They did not believe it. They did not believe the word of the living Christ who is the word of God. And they rejected the very idea that he and the Father could be one, that he who appeared to them only as a man could also be God. And yet he was. These men who are left with him have faith. In God. They believe in God. And they have also, by the working of the Holy Spirit, come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe in Him. And Jesus says, Continue to do so. For their faith was being tested. And it was going to be tested even more. And they would stumble and falter. They would flee away. Peter would deny Christ three times. But yet Jesus says, You believe in God? Continue to believe in me. Be steadfast in your faith, though your faith may seem little. We talked about that last week, how so often Jesus had to say, have you been with me so long and yet you believe so little? Your, your little faith. Jesus exhorts them to continue as they begun. Keep on trusting in the Father and all his goodness, for he cares for you and I care for you. Keep on trusting in me. They have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They've walked with him for three years, literally, walked with him, alongside him, behind him, doing that which he had commanded them to do. They, they've been there when he fed the 5,000. They took from his hand a, a, a piece of bread and walked and continued to distribute it and saw it multiply right before their very eyes. They've seen these things with their eyes, but Jesus is going away. He's just announced that back in verse 33, my little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. And you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. They're going to have to walk by faith. And that's really what he's encouraging them to do. You believe in God? Believing in God is it's a demonstration of faith. It's trusting in the promise of God and trusting who he is. He says, you do that, continue to do that. Ultimately, this peace is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. When he said, let not your heart be troubled, be at peace, that peace is found in Christ alone. And so he can say to them, be at peace, don't be troubled. You believe in God, you believe in me, continue in this which you have. And know the peace that passes understanding. You see, ultimately the peace of God only comes in, through, and by the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that so many around us are wanting peace? We've lived in these two years of turmoil and upheaval, but they're not new. They're unique in perhaps the, the degree, the, the concentration and the escalation of certain things. 
more than ever, people are mindful of the reality of death. And some have been deeply troubled. They have no peace. When they consider death, they have no peace. Perhaps you're like that. You, you think about your own death and you have no peace. And that's because you don't know Christ. Because peace is found in Christ. Peace for all things. But especially and right up to and including your own death. That peace is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The peace that these men need that would sustain them in the hours that were soon to follow was found in Christ alone. Though he would not be with them, his word to to them would be to continue to believe me, continue to trust me. He has told them many things. And and as he has told them, uh, I think actually he's going to tell him in a little bit in the upper room is that I'm going to go away, but the Holy Spirit will come to you, the comforter, and he will remind you and teach you all these things. And even as they begin to unfold, and they have many questions we're told in the account of the gospel that after his resurrection, they remembered that he said, and we'll find other and they remembered the spirit calling into mind, and they needed to learn, even in these hours, to depend upon the Holy Spirit. This peace that Jesus is speaking to them about would go with them through all the persecution and the suffering of the years that were to come after he ascended to the right hand of the Father, as they go out from Jerusalem, beginning in Jerusalem, going out then to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the world. And what do they go with? They go with the peace and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ with the same good news, the gospel that they have seen and heard, and they go proclaiming it, come what may, suffering unimaginably, and yet they go in the peace of Christ. My friends, is your life troubled? Does everything seem out of balance or in turmoil? Do you, all, do you long for someone to give you peace? In these past two years, there have been many felt stressed and troubled. Their, their worldview, the way they look at life and understand life, won't support that which is unfolding. It's because they don't know how they got here why they're here and where they're going. That answer is found in the word of God. It's found in the living Christ. Christ made us. By the word of God, God spoke and Christ, the word went forth and the worlds were created. God took up from the earth and formed man and he breathed life into man. The breath of life that is within us came from the nostrils of God, so to speak. That's how we got here. And we belong to him. We're his creatures. We're made in his image. That's marvelous. What a glorious truth. That gives us a sense of where we came from and and why we're here. We're here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's for this purpose that we are in the world. Yes, our troubles are still real. We have our circumstances. But you see, circumstances only reveal and expose that's within our heart. Without Jesus living in us, we're, we're not able to handle life. For we don't even have life in the Son. You see, God never intended for us to live apart from him. In the garden, before the fall, Adam lived before God. He enjoyed fellowship with God. To know God is life. Adam sinned and rebelled against God and was put out of the garden. He died. In the very moment that he ate of the fruit forbidden, he died. He was driven away from God. 
Jesus is coming to restore unto his life. As we'll see when we get to John 17, verse 3, Jesus praying to the Father says, this is eternal life, to know the Father. That's what he came to do. He came to bring us back to the Father, to give us life in the Father, to give us that purpose for living our lives. As I said a moment ago, God never intended for us to live apart from him. Sin is what separates us from God, and God's Son is the only one who can bring us back to the Father. My friends, look to Jesus Christ, the Lord and giver of life, who is, by another name, the Prince of Peace. He gives that peace that passes understanding. He alone is able to do it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Believe in Jesus, and know peace, for he gives it in abundance. But secondly, believe in Jesus and have a home with the Father. Jesus doesn't stop this wonderful unfolding of what he has to say. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Many of you have memorized this passage, these verses, particularly the verse 2. And you're able to quote it, and for good reason. There's a remarkable revelation in these words, as well as a tremendous promise. But these words must be understood in their context. This promise is only for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Those who have the peace of God that passes understanding. The promise is for them. It is not for all. It is my father, he says, and through him he becomes our father. It is only for those whose sins are washed away by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The promise is only for those who are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. These truths that we hear Jesus utter, they were not for Judas. Judas did not have faith. He was a son of perdition, and he went his way. The statements are given to the eleven as a further comfort. Again, in verse 33, Jesus said he's going away. Now, he tells them, that he's going someplace. He comforts them with a further revelation that he's going away to my father's house, he says. And he says it's a place of many mansions or rooms. His leaving of them is not an abandonment. He is going so that he, may be pre- that he might prepare a place for them. What a marvelous promise. What do we deserve from God as sinners? Wrath. To be cast from his presence into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth for eternity without end forevermore. And yet, by God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if he's going to prepare a place for us, it's that we then could be with him. He's not abandoning them. He's not abandoning the church. Jesus' departure is not a permanent separation from the church, his beloved bride. As the greatest bridegroom ever, Jesus is preparing a house so that he may bring his bride home at the appointed time. Jesus makes it very clear by saying, I go to prepare a place, and it is for y'all. This is the plural you. It was certain, um, certainly addressed to those men in the upper room. But these are the apostles, and they represent the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who believe their message and are brought to Christ by the good news of Christ, by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit, this promise was not limited to those 11 men that reclined at the table with him. This is the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
even to the ends of the earth. Isn't that marvelous? Many mansions. What was it that God told Abraham? When Abraham no son, Abraham had no son, he says, I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the heavens. Remember, uh, Abraham didn't have a, a, a telescope. You know, there was those Hubble space scopes where you can see in unimaginable distances and, and more galaxies being discovered all the time, each one filled with uncountable, innumerable stars. That's what God's saying. He says, your sons will be so many. You'll have so many children. Or as numerous as sand upon the seashore. We, we live here in the ocean state, just a few miles that way, and you know, scoop up one cup full of sand. How many granules are there? And, and there's seashores upon seashores. God's promise was to Abraham that he would have many descendants, and the promises that he made are to all of Abraham's descendants. And, of course, in the text, it's those who believe God and it's accounted unto them as righteousness. That's who are the true sons of Abraham. That was the great contention we've seen earlier in the book of John with, with the religious leaders and the other Jews. They think, hey, you know, we descended from Abraham. Everything's good. And he says, no, unless you believe like Abraham, you're not one of mine. He said, I can, God can make stones, our sons of Abraham from stones. But indeed, the promise that Jesus makes here in my father's house are many mansions. He's preparing it for the host of his people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And Jesus says, what I'm telling you right now, if it weren't true, I would, I would have told you it wasn't true. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. That's an understanding way of underscoring the truth of it, the reality of it. If this wasn't true, I would have already told you that it wasn't true. But indeed, it is certainly true that all who believe in Jesus will be gathered to be with the Father. Now, without the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the hour that has come where he will go and die, without that occurrence, without that event that divides all of history, Jesus' promise would be impossible. You see, as sinners, we cannot be in the presence of God because we are unholy apart from Christ. We are condemned and we would perish before one so infinitely holy and exalted. But because of the work of Christ, the only begotten Son of God, he brings us home to the Father. Put it another way, without Christ, there's no room in heaven for you or me. But in Christ, there's room for all who believe. Many mansions. One of those broad words. Man, how many is that? We don't know. Only known to the Father. Notice Jesus didn't say, I'm going to prepare a room for you eleven and no more. No, it's a very encompassing y'all. My dear friend, is Jesus preparing a mansion for you in heaven? Is your hope built on Jesus' blood and righteousness? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world? Is that who you are? My friends, rejoice. With exceeding great joy, though your sins were as scarlet, he has washed them as white as snow. And though you were once apart from God, he has brought you near to God. He brings you to the Father. The Father receives and welcomes you in Christ, and you become an adopted child of the living God so that you can say, My Father. And he will say, Welcome. Enter into the rest I prepared for you. What a glorious truth. The reality is, because of this, 
when Jesus comes, which we're fixing to deal with, there's going to be a reunion. That brings us to our third point. There's going to be a reunion. Believe in Jesus, and he will gather you to himself. Isn't that a marvelous truth? These glorious promises. Jesus is still ongoing. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and replace you, uh, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now that's implied when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That would be sufficient to conclude he's coming again. But you know what? He knows, well, maybe you're not this way, but he knows we're a little dull. And we need it to be a little more explicit. And he makes it so clear. If I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come again. You know, why would I prepare it and then just leave it empty? He, he's coming again. He has come to save a people unto the Father. And he's going to come and receive us to himself. That where he is there, we may be also. This makes so much sense, doesn't it? A place prepared, and that Jesus, when the time has come, he will return to gather his own to himself. And again, this is one of those plural yous. I will come again and receive you all to myself. Jesus is speaking at the second coming to the end of the age. Don't miss what Jesus is saying here. He, he's not speaking about preparing a place but that's what you're supposed to look forward to. Notice he doesn't say um, that he is coming again to take us, his people to that place. You see that? He's going to prepare a place. He doesn't say, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come and I'll deliver you to that place. Look at it. What does he say? No, I will come again and receive you to myself. My friends, we live in a day where I hear Christians, they talk about heaven in some whimsical, mystical, nonsensical way as they think about sitting on clouds and strumming hearts and walking streets of gold. They pick up on some of the things about heaven, and that's what they celebrate. That's what they look forward to. My friends, Jesus is coming to receive us to himself. I can't help but remember the sermon I read by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. There's a wonderful collection of 25 Spurgeon sermons on heaven. I don't know, five, six, seven sermons into that marvelous volume. Spurgeon takes the time and he describes heaven with all that we know from the word of God. Oh, it sounds glorious. And then he punctuates with this. But if we get there and that's all there is, if there's no Jesus, that will be hell. For it is to be with Jesus is what is heaven. To be brought by the Son to the Father, to enjoy communion and fellowship with the triune God as it was before the fall, but even better than before the fall because we won't be able to fall again. There'll be no more sinning. There'll be nothing between us and the Father. There'll be no more confessing of sin, no more temptation to sin, not even wrestling with temptations. We will be made perfectly blessed for the full enjoying of God forever. Jesus says, I will receive you to myself. My friends, this is so precious. To be with Jesus. Are we preparing for that? I'm not just speaking to you. I'm speaking to myself. How often is it that we, we get so distracted from, by so many things that we lose sight of the reality? I belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to me. We lose sight of that. 
We lose sight of the sweet communion and fellowship that we can have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're, we're just busy with many things. And we take no time with the Lord Jesus Christ. We spend very little time on our knees in the presence of the Father, communing with him, crying out to him, acknowledging our need, our dependence, but also rejoicing with exceeding great joy in the fullness of all the blessings and the promises that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we take it all for granted. Oh, yes, we know we're going to heaven. But we don't live like that's a reality now so often. Some of you are married. And even there, we take our spouses for granted at times. We just expect them to be there at the end of the day. We expect them to have some time for us. And yet we take so little time for them to cultivate, to nurture that wonderful, sweet relationship that we have here below. And children, lest you think you're left out, you you have marvelous parents. You, You can enjoy a sweet communion and fellowship with your parents and with one other as siblings. I know, that sounds so alien, doesn't it? Siblings loving their siblings, but that's a blessing from God. And, and all of that is to help us to learn, to long for and love the Lord Jesus Christ in the glory of his appearing, to be with him. I love to go see my children and my grandchildren. I love to be with them. It's such a delight. And, and I, I expect that you feel the same. I hope that you feel that way. I'm not always right. You, you lose sight of it. You forget about it. But we must never lose sight of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without him, where would we be? We'd be hellbound. Without him, we'd be wretched, miserable sinners. That's how he found us. So unworthy, so repulsive, so disgusting and vile, beyond our imagination. And yet... He came into the world to save sinners. He came and took those awful sins on himself to save us. Is is, is there a limit that we should have when, with extolling the living God of heaven, one of the one of the hymns that we sing this, and you were the vast of the heavens, the scroll, and all the the water and the oceans were an ink. Um, and it goes on to say there'd be insufficient to, to write and to ascribe and declare the worthiness of our God and declare his glory and majesty. God have mercy on us for how often we lose sight of these things. Jesus is going to welcome us. Amazing. I mean, really, really welcome us. Embrace us even is the nature of the language that's used here, and embrace beyond our understanding as we come before him. The language speaks of a face-to-face meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how that's possible. He, he's in his human body. You know, his human body has limitations, although it's glorified. There's, there's some mystery here. You know, I, we've talked about the vastness of those that will be in heaven but in some way, I believe that God is, will so work that wherever we're at in heaven, we will feel right there close with Jesus. You know, sometimes we think, oh, just as long as I'm at the back of the crowd and 
know, maybe I can get a little glimpse or something. It's not the way it's going to be. Jesus is going to embrace us and welcome us. I don't know how that will be, but it'll be so. Some of it is because sin will be gone. Perhaps sometimes in your prayer closets, as you pour out your heart before God, you have a foretaste of that face-to-face with our beloved Savior. That's all it is, is a foretaste. It's going to be so much more than that. Now, there's something else that's taught here. We don't have to wait until Jesus comes again for this. Uh, as far as I know, well, you know, we're going to die. And that promise is for when we die as well. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we die, we will be carried immediately into the presence of God. The soul, the heart we were talking about earlier, will return to the God who gave it. The very life who we are within will be in the presence of God. And we'll begin to enjoy those blessings in part, not in our bodies. That will wait until the resurrection. But that's what we hope, and that's what Paul celebrated when he thought of his own impending death. John, this same John who writes this, uh, this uh, gospel, writes in his first letter of these glorious truths, he uses them as the grounds to exhort us to live holy lives while on earth. 1 John 3, beloved, now, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but, and he's going to reveal something, by the Holy Spirit. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. That's not to say we'll be gods. It means that we will be free from sin. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. There's an application right there in that. Beloved saints of the living God, here is comfort for the brokenhearted. There is precious balm for the wounded. Here is encouragement for the faint of heart. Jesus is coming again. And he's coming for all y'all that are in Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's going to gather us into his embrace. Those whom the Father has given to him, he will one day to gather us to be with him forevermore. We must recall that the eleven in the upper room represent the church. So I've said earlier, and the promise then is not only to them, but to all who believe. I've got four children, four here on the earth, one with the Lord. And when they were little, they were the ones that gathered under my roof at the end of the day. They came to our house. It was their house. It was home because they're my children. They belonged in the house because they belonged to me. No other child could lay claim to what they had. Some of you have that right now. In a similar way, it is only the children of the Father been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that can lay claim to this promise. We will be in the Father's house, dwelling in one of those mansions that Jesus has gone to prepare because we've been adopted to the Father and given rights and privileges that are for all the children of God. God has no stepchildren. God has no grandchildren. Children understand that. If you would be in heaven with your parents, you too must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Well, let's conclude. Jesus came into the world so the sinners might have life in him. That life became theirs because they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and were saved. There's no other way of salvation. The eleven 
begin with so little faith. We've seen that as we made our way through the gospel. But along the way, Jesus was preparing them for what was to come. Even now, he's preparing them for him going away, the unfolding of that, the terror of seeing their master arrested and led away, one who was guiltless and yet taken away. And each trial shook them, and they learned to look to Jesus with the eye of faith even as they would face the next trial. That's the way it is for us today. Trials come for us all. They're appointed by the Father, but the Father is at work in them that we should learn to live by faith, walk by faith. Faith. That upper room, the 11 apostles who remained would soon see Jesus led away, and Jesus spoke these words of truth and made these promises to them so that their faith would not fail, so they would not despair, but that we continue to look to Jesus you believe in God, believe also in me. These same words have proved to be great comfort and assurance for God's people down through the generations. So my dear sisters and brothers, know this. Believe in Jesus, and you will know perfect peace. Believe in Jesus, and he will gather you home to himself. Believe in Jesus. I'm sorry, believe in Jesus, you will have a home in the Father's house. You believe in Jesus, he will gather you to himself. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this encouraging and comforting word. Even as we dwell below, buffeted on every side, trials without, struggles within, Lord, as you strengthen the faith of these men of old who are of like nature with us, Lord, would you strengthen our faith. Lord, give us eyes, fresh eyes, to see Christ by faith coming on the clouds with mighty angels. Lord, help us to remember that he is coming for us and that we would be found faithful, even as John exhorted, that we would live a pure life, even as he is pure, as you would enable us by your word and spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing.